Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground, alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? As you honor our forefathers and foremothers, I urge you to honor our living heroes. When you honor the names of Matt Turner, Harriet Tubman, and Malcolm X, I urge you to honor the names of Geronimo Gijaga, Sundiata Akoli, Matulu Shakur, and Mumia Abu-Jamal. America's chickens! Coming home to roost. Violence begets violence. Hatred begets hatred. And terrorism begets terrorism. Our common ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Thank you for being with us. Stay tuned. anything that you don't discuss. So we're in denial. And we have disbelief. And we have anger. We have passivity where we just do nothing. We have ignorance, which is the bulk of us. And we have acceptance. We just go along to get along. And of course there's that helplessness profile that it doesn't matter what we do, it's not going to make any difference. And so we just leave it to the Lord. Mercy. You leaving it to the Lord and look what the Lord is doing. Are exposed to things that should not be for children. And and people in America care more for dogs That's right. than Come they on. do for our children. That's right. And so now we got the tea party. Uh-oh. <laughs> Mercy. They want to take us back to the good old days. <laughs> And the tea party scares the living daylight out of me. And you should be afraid of them too. Because 
if the Tea Party has their way, you're going to be back in slavery again. Make no mistake, that's the agenda. But people are sophisticated now, and they don't claim, they don't say white versus black. They now claim liberal versus conservative, Democrats versus Republicans. It's, it's them and us, y'all. Let's just be realistic. And so they're banking on the fact that we, we don't care enough to um, do anything about it. And so these are the good old boys requesting the good old days. But this is what the good old boys did in the last snow in Washington, D.C. They put an effigy up, praying, and had a, a sign in front of it that said Obama. This is what they do. This is what you're going to. And then this is a magazine that is in the white right. And look at what you look at. You're looking through the barrel of a gun, people. What kind of subtle, what kind of subtle information is going there? You see what I'm saying? Tonight at Our Common Ground, we're honored to have joining us the president of the Black Psychiatrists Association, a medical pioneer and leader in the issues of trauma and black people in America, Dr. Patricia A. Newton. This is Janice Graham inviting you to join us in our discussion tonight at Our Common Ground, examining black mental health and black madness with Dr. Newton. Do we have the courage? I'm asking the question whether black people are slipping into darkness. This is our common ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Thank you for being with us. Akusa 
Akaya. Akia. Uh, she is presently president and medical director of Newton and Associates PA, specialist in psychiatry and behavioral medicine. She's a board cert- she is board certified in psychiatry and neurology with subspecialty boards in administrative psychiatry. She served as assistant professor of psychiatry at John Hopkins School of Medicine and John Hopkins School of Public Health, as well as past examiner for the American Board of Psychiatry. She was chairperson of the Department of Psychiatry at the former Providence Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland, and is a graduate of Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, where she served on the faculty after residency training at the Barnes Hospital Group before relocating to Baltimore. She also holds a master's degree in public health from John Hopkins School of Hygiene and Public Health and a master's degree in molecular biology from Peabody College at Vanderbilt University. Her B.S. degree in pre-medicine and biology was studied at the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff, and she has taken many, many graduate and post-training courses and studies. Her practice concentrates in the area of anxiety disorders, post-traumatic stress disorder, panic disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, and social phobia. Let me tell you a little about the Black Psychiatrist of America, where she serves as president. It was established in 1969, and its objective and mission is to optimize the mental health of of, uh, people of African descent in the Americas and across the African diaspora. The Black Psychiatrist of America has maintained close ties with psychiatrists and allied mental health professionals concerned about black people across North and South America, the Caribbean, and Africa. And as we talk with Dr. Newton tonight, you will find that she is often not on this on this continent very often, uh, with the exception of trying to maintain a, a practice in Baltimore, Maryland, but also trying to ensure that we have the necessary professional ties in research and 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 practice in mental health disciplines to be able to inform our own situation. Now, all of you have a tendency to say, you know, black people have lost their minds. And what we want to do is to seriously explore whether or not there is some truth in that statement. Before we uh, join, we have uh, Dr. Newton join us, I do want to make one note. On December 5th, Dr. Jan Carew died from natural causes at his home in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, at the age of 92. Uh, Dr. Carew is probably best known for his debut novel, Black Midas, which was published in 1958. And if you have not read it, we suggest that you do. He was both a writer and an educator with a very impressive resume. 
and he lectured at London University and taught at several schools in the United States, including Princeton, Rutgers, and the University of Louisville. If you do not know who Dr. Jan Carew is, you have missed uh, the history of a scholar, writer, giant, and we suggest that you study and find out about his Pan-African activism, which was lent on international themes to his life work, and he lived for a number, a number, and lived in a number of different countries, uh, including Mexico, Ghana, France, and more. Um, he always recognized himself as a Caribbean writer, and his work reflected that throughout his career. And we extend our condolences to the black nation, to the black world, and we certainly extend our sympathies to his family. Thank you again for being with us. This is Our Common Ground, and we're going to have joining us now Dr. Patricia A. Newton. Dr. Newton, thank you so very much for joining us tonight. I've been looking forward to this. Well, thank you very much. I know we had a difficulty in scheduling, but we finally made it. <laughs> well, you are busy doing very important work. Um, I have um, been thinking a great deal over the years about the extent to which we need to be informed in our community about our mental health status collectively and to look at individually how we are affected by post-traumatic syndrome, uh, that of slavery, that of Jim Crow, and, and now I'm adding on to that, that of the Obama era. Tell us about what is the most important thing going on in the, in the mental health lives collectively of black people and 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 Afri and people of african descent well i don't know that there's any one thing i think there's a multiplicity of things which makes it very complicated and convoluted and sometimes it escapes us in terms of our conscious reality but part of the difficulties that we have as a people is coming to terms with the reality that the people that got on that boat are not the people that got off that boat, and we are very different in that regard because the experience that we've had in the U.S. Uh, for the last 400-plus years has created um, an interesting uh, human being in terms of African people. Some of us are in, as I alluded to earlier when you were playing the tape, in Frank and outright denial, and do not understand uh, the nature of what we're up against. We are up against a war, and the war is for is both economic and cultural as well as spiritual. And to the degree that we don't recognize we're in a war is to the degree that we aren't able to prepare for it. I remember from the art of war, St. Musi said, don't, uh, expect the war not to come, just count on being ready for it when it does come because it will be there. And so part of my concern has been the lack of respect, the lack of a clear direction of a people, 
the lack of continuity, and, of course, the lack of trust that we had. And, you know, the things that we do to each other defy logic. <laughs> they really are beyond the scope of logic because we're our, each other's worst critic. I'm talking about African people now. We're the worst critics that we have of each other. We're the most dishonest to each other. We're the most distrustful to each other and vile and vicious to each other. That, of course, is acquired behavior, but it's been perfected over the years. And right now, we can only blame ourselves for this lack, for this, quote, madness that is a direct result of our experience here. And having been subjected to lots of violence over the years, we've now perfected it to a degree that we take it out on ourselves every day, black-on-black homicide, family and domestic violence, child abuse, and all of these things that have become daily routine parts of our diet as we live here in America. You know, it's interesting that one of the things that you list is how we treat each other. Exactly. Let's talk about that for a minute, because just last week at this very hour, I was talking about how we regard each other, our lack of respect for the people who work in our community on our behalf, who recognize that they have a responsibility to support and to help us build. Mm-hmm. How do, in your mind, in your professional work, how are you seeing that manifested? In the political arena, how are you seeing that manifest? Well, the first issue is the issue of accountability. Part of the problem that has occurred not only in politics but in our churches and in our everyday lives is that we as a people are not accountable to each other. Um, we might go and work and, and and you know, uh, scratch our heads and muck dance with, uh, with, with our oppressors, but when it comes to each other, we will say one thing and do something entirely different. Now, does that translate into the fact that we don't respect or hold in high regard each other, which is an absolute reflection of how much respect and disregard we have for our own personal selves? So accountability or the lack thereof is the first issue. The second issue for me is a breakdown of the moral fabric of the African community. Um, There are things that we would or would not do. There are things that we would or would not say. Uh, Children would certainly not disrespect elders, and elders would would remain, would would maintain their status and not be trying to act like children either. So what we see now is a lot of confusion and blurring of the boundaries to the degree that people will come in to my office, and I'm sure other psychiatrists and psychologists and social workers' offices, um, you know, they're depressed, they are uh, beaten down, they're burnt out, uh, they have switched to drugs and alcohol as coping mechanisms or gambling addiction, and to some degree sex addiction, but those tend to be less than the gambling, the drugs, and the alcohol. And Certainly, we have seen things change within the structure of their neurology and their biology as a result of being depressed. But, you know, most of our people in our communities are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, and I like to do 
and slash it as post-traumatic slavery disorder, not syndrome, but a disorder. It is a, something that is totally out of the natural order of being. And so we have developed these maladaptive and pathological coping mechanisms to the degree that we first take it out on ourselves and then we take it out on the ones that we love. We have not taught our children how to be respectful of our elders. And then again, our elders have not acted like elders. They just act like old people who act like children who are just old. And so part of the issue is no regard, no boundaries, no understanding of your role and purpose in life, you know, and um, not having a clear direction and as it relates to now, you know, not having really economic viable support systems to reinforce those things which are positive for us. We can hear all the negative stuff, but if you attempt to build communities and you attempt to create a base of understanding for our people, most of those people get shot down. And the ones who are really honest about it, you know, work at a serious disadvantage because, of course, their programs and their um, organizations are underfunded. And if they're doing really good work, they're not they're not funded at all. <laughs> but but what gets funded is trash and and a lot of uh, sexual deviant things that go on, so that our children get exposed to. A lot of negative stuff well before their emotional and neurological systems are able to even handle that kind of data mhm mhm i i'm I'm wondering, and I don't want to because I do want to talk to you about sexual abuse of children in our community, but I'm wondering if one of the areas of irresponsibility. Um, that we are experiencing as a result of our collective trauma is our negligence on the issue of domestic violence in our community, specifically the way in which so-called, quote-unquote, responsible black people tend to make excuses for that kind of violence that our children are exposed to and uh, that adults are victim to? Well, I certainly think that that's a, a, a major factor, uh, certainly not the only factor, but it is a major factor in terms of the breakdown of the family system, um, the breakdown of role uh, dynamics, in other words, what constitutes proper behavior for a parent and a child, what constitutes appropriateness in terms of a husband and a wife, what constitutes the kinds of behaviors that would be positive and reinforcing of of growth and development in a way that's going to be constructive for the young person and for our community. This is all part and parcel of a lot of these behaviors having uh, occurred in young people that they don't have another script. The only script that they know is the script of violence, the, the script of yelling and screaming. And, you know, I never forget I had a patient, you know, um, I brought their family in, 
and these people were yelling and screaming at each other, and no one seemed to get offended, but I found it very offensive. So finally I just stopped them, and I said, why do you people yell and scream at each other? And they said, we didn't realize we were yelling and screaming. This is how everybody in my family talks to each other. I mean, the rudeness and the disrespect and, and disregard of adults and children, people were just saying everything out of each other's mouths. And I was just in shock and awe to have them, you know, they weren't embarrassed by me being there, listening to them. They had no regard for it, mm-hmm. not until I brought it to their attention. And they said, oh, this is what we do with our family. And they thought it was normal. So, so, so part of this we can we can see in what some people might say, that black people have lost their manners. Well, they have lost their manners. They have definitely <laughs> lost their manners, you know. They have definitely lost their manners, you know, because but part of that is due to the fact that as adults, we have not been consistent with our roles as adults, either as a collective. Uh, we tr- we want to be friends with our children. Now, I'm not saying that you're not supposed to have a good working relationship with your child, but your child is not your friend. <laughs> That's your child. Uh-huh. <laughs> and And... So that, therefore, the kinds of parental guidance that should be there often isn't there. Uh, one factor it may be that some of us have had a lot of children very, very early and may not be that much older than our children. But even with that having been said, you're still the parent, and there has to be some level of modeling that must take place for your child to learn appropriate decorum. You know, and and that reminds me, I remember I was telling just earlier tonight, I was talking to a a brother from the Cameroon who um, works in the building where I live, and we were talking about children, the difference between children in Africa and children in the U.S. And he was saying that sometimes he rides public transportation, and he can see an elderly lady get on the bus, and a young man will be sitting there, with his earphones on, just rocking, 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 and there'd be no seats, and doesn't even think about he should get up and give that older lady a seat. And he says, you know, I'm from Africa, and we don't play that. He says, so I just tap him on the head and say, young man, get up and give this lady a seat. And I laughed. I said, yeah, because when you go into some public place or a village in Africa, and if there are no seats and adults come in, and children are sitting, no one has to tell them to get up. They just get up and give you the seat because they know that the role is that you must respect the elders. Now, having said that, it requires the elders to demonstrate and exhibit a set of behaviors that that demand that respect because just being old doesn't make you an elder. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It Mm -hmm. just makes you old. And so part of the problem is that many of our people do not accept their roles because we've not had stages of growth and development like what used to occur, what occurred in the past in Africa where you had these rites of passage into pubescence, then into adulthood, and then into eldership. You know, all these kinds of things that you knew what your role would be. So, yes, you're right. We've lost our banners while we're losing our minds. 
Mm-hmm. Now, to what extent, because I think that uh, on this program, we've done a lot of talking about this. I was just mentioning last week about I was on the train and a, and a class of fifth grader boys uh were traveling at the same time and they were noisy but they were just they were just being children and right, they were right. enjoying each other and they seemed to be very mannerable and the little boy poked me on the leg I was standing and he said would you like to sit down mm-hmm. um and I thought it was so nice and I mentioned it to the teacher and said he should get a gold star tomorrow in class mm-hmm. because uh, he did this, but to what extent, uh, Nana, has TV changed how we perceive the roles in our families? For instance, um, there, at one time there was a whole lot of talking about, and you just made this point about how parents are now somehow mimicking the role of being friends rather than being the adult in the relationship and having clear boundaries about that. To what extent has TV and black people wanting to mimic other cultures in our society? Well, you know, part of the problem is that we have uh, now two or three generations of children having been babysat by aliens, and the alien is the television in the house. So when you've got an inanimate alien babysitting your child, I don't know what you expect. Uh-huh. You know, you have to turn that television off and begin to have some dialogue and do things with your children and expose them to more than just a skewed view of, you know, these programs, which nobody is is stopping these children from watching of which some of them are just quite inappropriate for young people to even be be looking at in terms of what they represent and what they say and all of that. So, yes, it has had an effect. In addition to that, um, many people, adults, vicariously live their lives through the soap operas. They, they, their lives are unfulfilled in the context of either what they wanted to be and didn't achieve it or where they want to go or the fact that they have just acquiesced themselves that this is my existence. I get up, I eat, I watch TV, and that's my life. I work and I watch TV. And when you have skewed dynamics, because television is there to sell, and they're there to sell certain things, either concepts or products, and if that is the total of your worldview, then it's biased, it's skewed, it's distorted, and it's not real. So that you are creating this fantasy matrix within your within your current reality, and that also confuses boundaries. Very easily confuses boundaries because you see it on TV and it's supposed to be okay, or you have this discussion about things that are not age appropriate. For children, you know, you have certain things that you discuss them as they get to be certain ages, but some things are just not age appropriate. And then seeing adults act as though they are buffoons is also lending itself to a matter of disregard and disrespect. So yeah, it has a lot to do with it. That and um, 
and seeing the behaviors of some of the adults within their communities is disgraceful. Point out to us uh, an example so that people understand exactly what you mean about disgraceful, because I think people, I think you're absolutely right, people have become so distorted without a balance of what all that stuff is. Well, I'll tell you a classic example. Uh, I have patients who who, want to get high with their kids. (laughs) They want to smoke a joint, and they want to teach their child it's okay to smoke a joint if they're at home. (laughs) That's, That's that's unconscionable. To me, that's also bordering on child abuse. But that's another story. The other issue is uh, they go to the same clubs with their kids. I'm talking about, you know, teenagers and their parents. Um, and they find it amusing that their children's uh, peers think that they're cute or that they're hot or that they're handsome or that they're real cool. You know, what are you doing hanging out in a club with your child? You know, that doesn't make any sense. Or they hear their or see their parents lie all the time on the telephone, talk to their friends and just lie, lie, lie. Now, they're listening to this, and they're getting messages that it's okay to distort reality in order to make, you know, whatever point that you choose to make. Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't see their parents respecting their own parents. They see them saying to them and talking to them in any kind of way. Now, that's that's relatively new in our community over the last, say, 20 years. That's new, uh, and not only is it new, also a lot of these behaviors became more manifest with the introduction of cocaine into our communities. Because one of the things that we noticed uh, over the years is that cocaine became a great disinhibitor of normally of of societal inhibitions and 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 people began to do things that they didn't do before i mean i've even had patients sell their children for sex in order to get their fix and that does happen and it happens in every city in this country and i'm talking about african american parents that is not something that we normally would do that, and so part of the issue is the last 20 years has been a moral deterioration, an ethical deterioration, and a total collapse of boundaries of what is appropriate and inappropriate behavior. And I, and for a fact, not only television, but also drugs powerful like cocaine have had a major impact on it as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who is Dr. Newton supposed to be the arbiter in 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 all of this. I mean, uh when I was growing up and probably when you were growing up in Arkansas, it was the elder in the family that arbitrated right. uh interfamily discourse. Right. Yeah, but discourse. these elders these elders are not elders. These just old people. <laughs> <laughs> That's a difference. <laughs> well, you know, and to what extent, um, which people who are listening to us who are regulars for this program always hear me saying uh, something about that 
with with pushing these boundaries and it, and and I really believe it comes uh I grew up in Jim Crow. I went to segregated schools. Mm-hmm. I lived in a segregated healthy most for the most part community. Mm-hmm. That we have two things going on. One one people who have not uh, black people who who have no knowledge, no understanding about what a black healthy community is, what it looks like, what it feels like. And the other is that it comes out of our giving up our cultural and moral barometer in our environment to absorb or to enter. Well, people don't like me to use that word, but I'm going to say it. We have become so integrated that we have lost ourselves. Well, in the in the, in the, in the process of wanting to uh, assimilate and be quote accepted, we forgot that the best acceptance is the first one you give to yourself, and that everything else flows from that. And so, you know, I never forget Wayne Nobles was the one that Wayne Nobles was the first one I heard say that that power is the ability to define yourself by your own terms and have everybody else accept it. And so part of the issue has been that because of this experience that we've had, where we've uh, accumulated data that says that we are less than, now whether you buy into that myth or not buy into that myth, it's there and it's pervasive at every level to the degree that now we see people being insulted and they don't even realize they're being insulted. They just think that it's just a joke, you know, or, and it's just a, a joke that you play on somebody because people are not clear about who they are, what they are, and what it represents. And so we are willing to compromise our values, our sanity, our morals, and our culture, and our spirituality for the sake of being liked. And whether that's being liked by our oppressors or like by other folk who may, in fact, look like us but not act like us, um, we we think being liked is synonymous with being loved. And we think that if we just go along with what everybody else wants, people will somehow love us. And it never works that way because you have to love yourself first. And if you don't love yourself then you need to get somewhere where you can start learning how to love yourself. And if there's nobody around, then then you start buying into, or if you have learned to close off those, those informational inputs that are around, then you buy into whatever myth, whatever virtual reality system is laid on you, even if it's false. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We look at I I look at what I hear from my callers and my listeners and people who email me what I read in the in the papers every day and 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 Dr. Newton you know I feel like I I read a lot of newspapers from all over the country mm-hmm. so I'm getting a lot of a lot more of what I always got. And it leads me to believe that somehow we have become a lost people. Well, we're not totally lost. And 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 I'll tell you an example. Just like that young man 
that ask you, did you want to sit down? That, that child said, would you like to have a seat? So you're not totally lost. The problem is, is that we never hear about those kinds of things. You know, I, there's a group of uh, the Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity in Howard County, Maryland, every other year takes uh I take with them, I, I lead them on a trip to Africa, to Ghana, uh, and these are all honor students, young black male honor students, African-American males who are honor students in high school and some maybe going into college. And they take these young men, and, I, and this, they've done it for, you know, three or four times now. And I am just so impressed with the mannerism, the intellect, the, you know, um, uh, the intellectual curiosity, the conversations. And I'm like, wow, you know, just when I'm about to give up and say that we're lost, mm-hmm. one of these young people will come through or a spark will come through, just like that young man that asked you if you want to sit down and you realize, no, it isn't all lost. And we can't really give up. We just have to be realistic enough to realize that a lot of them are lost. A lot of us are lost, but not all of us. And mm-hmm. if change is going to take place, and it, it it almost has to because time is moving much faster than it used to move. Everything is exponential now. Nothing is linear. And mm-hmm. so what, what our, our mechanisms by which we had to cope, say, in the past, don't serve us well anymore because we have too much bombardment with media and and um um you know internet and everything so so for those of us who are in the process of effectuating change change meaning moving to a more positive level for our people, we have to begin to incorporate some of the same mechanisms that people are using to negatively propagandize us to positively do that. And so I, while I, there are days when you know I feel like that all is 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 lost, but most of the time I see some young person come through that, like you just described, and then you realize, well, we may not save everybody, but my God, we still have a few that are definitely interested, and some who would be more interested if they just had someone to come in to be a stable influence in their lives and not try to take advantage of them because part of the problem that we're seeing now is that people, especially a lot of single-parent mothers, want to have their children involved in programs and things of that nature, but they put them there and some adult takes advantage of them and abuses them or something of that nature. And so people begin to be very leery of wanting to help when you genuinely are not interested in being a pedophile or not interested in in taking advantage of anyone because of all this stuff that occurs with our children. You know, when we look at African-American children, and we look at our communities as a collective, not in an individual basis, you know, but as a collective, there's no safe place for them to be. They're not safe at home, they're not safe at school, and they're not safe at church. Those are the major institutions in our community that that have served to give us grounding and serve to to make whole or make sense out of nonsense and children are being violated in all of these places so how do we um 
in 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 looking at our families and especially our children, how do we begin to formulate some principles, some strategy for going forward? You know, like one of the things I've just started with my grandchildren, instead of saying, how are you today, uh, are, you know, and they say, good, that they have to answer me by saying, I'm young, gifted, and black, mm-hmm. and then tell me how their day went. You mean you have some positive affirmations that you want yes. to show. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do we begin to extend that kind? I mean, it's it's like one of the reasons I love Black Love Day as opposed to messing around with Valentine's Day <laughs> is because it is it is an individual act. You know, an, I, I think in our community, you know, I would love for groups of older, retired black people to to adopt a public school so that at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day they're there with uh, a fruit bag or, or something for students to say good morning to them and go in there and get them, you know, uh, do something good to make children going in and out of school an experience that connects them with people who do care. Well, you know, there 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 are a number. You know, there's no one quick fix. It has to be, you know, community by community. But while we're on that subject, let me just throw, throw in a plug for this conference that we're giving in March in Baltimore on the 22nd and 23rd. Uh, it's called Child Sex Abuse and Trauma in the African American Community, The Shame, the Blame, and the Solutions. And I want to refer people to a website because that's one of the ways we're going to be start, start to attack this issue because we've been in the silence about it for such a long time. And silence about the fact that many of the problems that we're seeing in our adult population are directly related and have a high correlation to them having been violated and abused physically, sexually, emotionally as children. And it leads itself to substance abuse disorder, to disrespect, to disregard, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, the list goes on and on. So I would like to tell your listeners um, and your people, you know, that, 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 that frequent your program so please look at the website at www.royal, R-O-Y-A-L, then hyphen circle, raw circle, raw hyphen circle dot O-R-G, and go to the calendar page. That's www.royal hyphen circle dot org, and go to the calendar page and do their best if they can, especially the pro- the, the the parents and professionals and things like that who care about children mm-hmm. um, to try to register for that conference because we're going to begin to not only attack the issue of it but offer some solutions and show some positive things that are happening across the country uh, that people are doing to to help children mm-hmm. and to help um, uh, not only children but to also to help parents who you know, are also victims oftentimes of similar kinds of things. So I just want to throw that out there. Well, uh, otherwise, forget it because I know we'll start right. talking and I will forget it. 
And I want to remind people that the Royal, you are a member of the board of the Royal Circle uh, yes, Society. Yes, Foundation. Yeah. And you foundation. Had two, and you had some of our people on a couple of weeks yes, ago. Yes, um, Dr. Adams Hunter and Adams and Richard Dr. King. Richard King. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To talk about your Seeking Consciousness Yeah, it was a conference. wonderful conference, wonderful conference last weekend. It was just awesome. Mm-hmm. And and I understand at the conference in Baltimore last weekend, you honored uh, Dick Gregory. My we friend. did. We and did. We Baba gave him the Con- Consciousness Award for a lifetime of leadership and conscious awareness. Yes, we did. And uh, he was I'm, excellent. He was excellent, by the way, too. And, and we do want people to check out the royal royal dot org uh, website uh, to check out this conference because right. you know one of the things I do want to to mention and it was uh, something that I mentioned about the Seeking Consciousness conference. You don't have to be a professional, no. mental health professional, no. to nope. attend these conferences. No. Nope. Nope. And if you know what we say is, for if you care about our children, this is the conference you need to be at. Absolutely. You know, the professionals are going to get their continuing education, Mm -hmm. but the parents and the clergy and and the community folk are going to get a lot of information about how we develop coping strategies, how we build build um, uh, you know. secure places for our children, how we network in such a way that we can begin to start protecting our children so they can grow up to be healthy, viable, and contributing adults mm-hmm. as and when opposed to being victimized. When is this conference going to take place? March 22nd and 23rd at the Hilton Baltimore uh, on uh, 300 uh, West Pratt Street. And it's all on the website. You can register uh, for the conference. You can uh, call the hotel and, and everything. It's www.royal-circle.org calendar page. Well, I, I'm, I'm certainly going to continue to to push. Well, I want you to be there too. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was thinking that, and as a matter of fact, I was thinking that maybe I ought to call a meeting of the Our Common Ground Posse. Yeah, uh, in March in Baltimore, and for people, and then we can talk about some things that uh, our common ground and mm-hmm. um, that would be awesome. I, and I declare media are thinking about doing around independent Black Talk Radio. But let, let's go. But back let me to before you go from that point, mm-hmm. I want to say that we're also going to be screening the movie Wolf, done by a professor down in Texas. And this movie looks at child sex abuse in the black church. Okay. Okay, I'm just calling it to let you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, we need to take a break, but when we come back, I do want to talk about the effect that uh, the last um, four years um, have had uh, with the emergence of the Tea Party and uh, and white America wanting to take back their country on the mental health status, uh, inviting perhaps more mental health problems in the black community than we recognize. And I also want to talk about uh, child sex abuse and pedophilia mm-hmm. in 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 our community. And as well, homophobia. Okay. 
You're listening to Our Common Ground at Blog Talk Radio. I'm Janice Graham, and we're going to take a break. And our guest tonight, Dr. Patricia A. Newton. She is the president of the Black Psychiatrists Association of America. And we are talking about whether or not black America is slipping into darkness, the issues of black mental health and black madness. Thank you so much for being with us. This is our common ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Thank you for being with us. Because our society is only as strong as all its individuals. The United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers, but we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists, but we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, we had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Who champion this cause of something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. But I don't know what it is. And then he set her up by backing off. Well, if she will come and talk to us. Right. Yeah, and she yeah, came yeah. and talked to you, not alone, she came and talked with the CIA guy. Sure did. And he basically backed up everything she said, but now they have larger concerns. Now they're crying and whining about the filibuster and the reform of the filibuster. Not only should they reform the filibuster, they should drop the nuclear option on the filibuster. And when you hear people like Mitch McConnell saying that if they do this, this will poison the well forever. Well, I'll take your threat and I'll raise you to shove it in your behind. Right, raucous, and reason. Advanced urban progressive political talk radio. The Alpha Show. Only at TruthWorks Network. Friday, 10 p.m. Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Thank you for being with us. 
for being with us here tonight at Our Common Ground. We're here each Saturday, 10 p.m., speaking truth to power, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And we want to thank you for being with us. And if you're listening and would like to join in on the discussion, our chat room is open at blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. Our guest tonight, the eminent leader in international leader uh, on the issue of mental health trauma and anxiety disorder and just downright understanding what's going on collectively in the confused uh, environment, uh, global environment in which we live, war, oppression, Depression, Dr. Patricia A. Newton, president of the Black Psychiatrists Association, is with us tonight, and soon we're going to be opening up our phone lines for you to talk with her. But, Dr. Newton, thank you so very much again for being with us. I I want to talk about how you uh, observe what has happened and the impact that it has had on an already existing collective anxiety of black people in this country during the Obama era? Oh, well, where do you start? <laughs> um, well, let's start with they want their country back. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, well, I think that speaks to the fact of the good old days are going wet because of uh, the United States of America is no longer a single uh, entity. It is a multicultural. It is multi-faceted uh, in terms of ethnicities as well as culture, and it's never going back because uh, the country itself has a lot more brown and black people than it ever had in terms of just a Collective. I'm not saying that the percentages of African-American people have changed dramatically, but we do have a lot more of different folk here. And to the degree that many people in the United States have been out of step with what has been happening in the rest of the world, um, they are frightened. Um, they want to go back to the way it was because that was then a perception of being in total control and in total domination of other folk on the on the planet. Um, those days were numbered and they're now just about over because, one, people are not going to go back to being treated the way that they once were treated as a collective, those at least who are conscious. Um, and two, uh, the way the world is getting smaller, it would be difficult to maintain that kind of system and be able to negotiate with the way with 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 the world the way we need to be. Because if we want to talk about our people as, 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 as within that equation, part of what we must do as African people in the United States of America is to think globally. Uh, global issues related to the, not only the diaspora, but just the world in general are going to be our survival mechanism. You know, I spent a lot of time outside of the U.S., and 
I have found that people, because I'm from the United States, they're not looking at me on the basis of being an African-American woman or this or that. They'll say, oh, you're from the States, you've got this, so you must really know a lot. We really want you. Now, in some instances, they prefer the fact that that I am of African origin because they feel more comfortable because themselves are coming from oppressed environments. You, you understand what I'm saying? Yes. And so, so the good old days for the good old boys are 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 not going to happen anymore. Now, people are going to fight like you know what to preserve whatever uh, fantasies they that they thought they once had. And and you got to understand that. I mean, you can't blame them for wanting to hold on to what they got and not share power. But it's going to be awfully difficult to survive in the world if people are not understanding that it is a new day, it is a different dynamic, and to maintain that old system is tantamount with creating suicide for yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, I, and, and I'm not saying that it's a panacea. I'm not saying that because Mr. Obama is elected or re-elected that, that we as a people need to just sit on our laurels. Uh, I think part of the problem is that because we had never played politics at this level before, the first time around, we had unrealistic expectations of our president unrealistic expectations, thinking that, well, yeah, now we got, you know, Mr. Obama in the White House and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, the country has been in a mess economically, and was in her- and that mess was inherited. And so part of the issue that we have to address is that we don't even know all of what is going on. And there's always other agendas going on. We have, to, as a people to coalesce and articulate our agenda. I remember saying to someone at the IBW conference in D.C. a couple of, two or three weeks back that the day after Mr. Obama was elected the second term, the Hispanic community was there with their agenda. Where were we? Mm-hmm. I said that exact same thing on this on these airwaves last week and the week before. Hey, we're expecting something, and we for what? What 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 do what is it that we want? Mm-hmm. You know, is it just forty acres and a mule? What is it? You know, as a people who have got who have who is important for their own self identity, self worth, self esteem, and self actualization, is that it is critical that we create and develop a strategy for articulating what we want and when we want it and and making the kinds of unrealistic demands you know don't get anybody anywhere but 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 making a clear agenda about a b c d f and g based upon x y and z i think we would be able to offer a great deal but but what we do is complain, and mm-hmm. and and uh, well, that might make you feel good. It doesn't get anything accomplished. 
And and we don't yet, as we alluded to earlier, trust each other enough that we would be willing to sit down at the table without our egos getting in the way because we have a lot of good leaders who have serious ego issues and who would rather have their egos be massaged than to have our people survive. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Let me let me ask your uh your 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 impression uh about uh what has happened with uh former representative Jesse Jackson Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh I viewed him as one of the more progressive and active House members mm-hmm. uh, that spoke to the interests of black people, and now that he's gone. Also, how you think black people in general experience the attacks, the racist attacks on uh, President Obama? Well, that, that's a that's a lot you just asked. Uh, first of all. <laughs> in a very nice and subtle way. You just ask a lot of stuff. But um, what I wanted to say is this. Um, one of the things that African people have to understand, uh, no matter how committed we are, uh, we can't play the ball game by other folks' rules. But it's their game. You have to have your own game and set your own rules. And so part of the issue that happens oftentimes with our politicians um, is that we forget that the deck is stacked immediately against you from the jump street. You have to hold yourself to a higher standard. But then if you also have some kind of uh, problems in terms of your health, whether that be physical or mental health, they need to be addressed and not denied. And so there are a number of issues that come to play. But one thing is for sure, if you're going to be an advocate for your people and you're African-American, you have got to walk a very straight and narrow road. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very straight and narrow. Mm-hmm. I, I have actually argued the point, uh, Nana, that um, it could be both. Jesse Jackson Jr. could be have violated the law and also be bipolar or right, right. Or, or suffer from depression. Right. They're not mutually exclusive. Thank you. You know, and one could exclusive. have led That's, the other, and, and would be more likely to occur if you were bipolar anyway. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what what do you think about uh, how we experience the attacks? I mean. I took a lot of what was the attacks that were directed at the president. I took them personally. Well, because they were indirectly uh, uh, directed at, at each and of me. us. At me, yes. <laughs> uh, indirectly, it was he became the poster boy for all that we could say and do that is wrong with, Af- with black America. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He became the poster child for people to get off their jollies, let me just call it the way it is, you know, and 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 while it wasn't personally, we were not called by name, it was a symbolic representation. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, first of all, he, 
he, as a president, he was very highly disrespected by other members of Congress and other place and other people. I mean, the nerve of somebody putting their finger in the president's face, the nerve of somebody calling the president of the United States a liar in public, and and if that had been you or I, we'd been under the jail, not in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying, you know, and and that lack of respect, you know, and, and or disrespect, let's put it that way, uh, to me it's just symbolic of the whole contempt and and lack of respect and even fear that a large group of, of segment of our population in the United mm-hmm. States of America has as it relates to people of color in general, mm-hmm. just in general. And so, you know, I think he just became uh, a symbol of the contempt uh, that many people have for folk of color anyway. And he was an easy target. He's still an easy target. I mean, I understand he's had more death threats than any other other presidents combined. You know, so I mean, it's, serious it's, death threats. Yeah, serious. Yeah, serious. And, and so I, I think that that you know, um, unfortunately, the fear that is in the hearts of some people make them say and do irrational things. But I think the fear that some people have is that people. If if people of color get into power, they will do to them what they have done to us, and I think that that's uh, an irrational fear because, you know, that's not that's not the way we've operated. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That's just mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. how we are. You know, our, as Dr. John Henry Clark used to say, our greatest strength is our greatest weakness, and that's our capacity to love and forgive forgive everybody except ourselves. Mhm. Mhm. Now, so that's forgiving issue, ourselves. Know. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For, for forgiving ourselves. Uh, you know, one of the things that I think that our community really does suffer from, however, in this political climate, is a certain uh, uh, position of confusion. Where, on one hand, you have some very rational, radical people who opposed the president uh, very aggressively on some key public policy issues. Mm-hmm. And they, in in many ways, attack him personally. Well, that's a mistake. That's a mistake. I, I think, I think, I agree with, I certainly agree. You don't with have to agree with, 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 with Barack, with President Barack Obama. On everything, I don't think any of us do agree mm-hmm. with him on everything. Mm-hmm. But we have to understand that there's an appropriate way to handle disagreements and discord, and that and that and that at no point, regardless of who it is, do we need to lower ourselves to the level of being disrespectful, because what that says is that we we have no one respect for ourselves, mm-hmm. and two that we're just blowing our whistles so that we can get heard and hope that ours is louder than his. And, you know, make no mistake, he is still the president of the United States of America. Mm -hmm. And America, at least for now, is still the most powerful nation in the world. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. you know, we have a right, this is a democracy, so they say, and we have a right to, 
to advocate and disagree, but we don't have the right to be rude. We don't have the right to be disrespectful, and we don't have the right to be downright just, you know, um, ignorant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we yeah. have the right to disagree, and intelligent people are going to disagree because we all have different ways of handling things and what we believe and are passionate about our belief systems. But at no point in time should we do that at the expense of our sanity, our self-respect. You know what I mean? This, this, that doesn't make any sense at yeah. all to me because you lose your argument. Mm-hmm. And going personal is is the worst way in the world to win anything because mm-hmm. people will begin to look at you, even though your point may be valid. They begin to look at you with a jaundiced eye and, and begin to think, well, oh, he's jealous or she's jealous or he would be going like that because there's mm-hmm. a way we can all disagree. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's interesting that you say that because I think a lot of us over the last two years – have um, had people for whom we have a great deal of respect in their mm-hmm. analysis of both domestic and international policy and affairs kind of go ballistic Amen. in a way that made you make you lose a little bit of your your level of respect for them exactly because they somehow have lost their intellectual edge and i'm not really just talking about Tavis Smiley and Dr. Cornell West now west has been a very good uh, uh and big supporter of this program but i'm talking about others people who have blogs and newsletters and papers and 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 what it tends to do is people who have been struggling to understand the the fundamental and critical issues going on in this country to pull away and say, I don't want to be part of this at You're all. Right. I don't understand what's happening in my own community. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm so happy to hear you uh, express it in, in that way because I believe that we have experiences as children of chattel slavery that have taught us some lessons that other parts of America have not learned. Exactly. And one of them is to maintain dignity exactly. in our discourse. Exactly. Because the other side of that is if you're not maintaining that kind of calm reserve, then you're getting into the area of where you no longer can think clearly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you set yourself up for being defeated, whether you realize it or not. So if we're talking about winning a longer war, we don't have to agree with the president. I don't think any of us have ever agreed totally with any president, and I don't care who he is, you know, or she is. And um, I think what's critical is that we develop a position of critical thinking, a position of critical analysis, uh, holding our people accountable, but but then what? Having something to replace it with. It's not just enough to complain. It's not just enough to to analyze without offering some reasonable alternatives mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and some suggestions for what could be done 
all too often, many of our own people become victims of the same dynamic that uh, other folk are, and it is their greed that makes them do that because somebody is willing to pay them to have a position of negativity, uh, not because what they say is not valid, because what they say will help tear down what they feel is an image of someone else who has more power than they want them to have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, let's shift a little bit before we open up our lines. I know there are some people out there who have questions for you as well, and I do want to talk with you about your work with the uh, and the work of the black psychiatrist. Of America. Of America. Black psychiatrist of America. America. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about pedophilia mm. and black child sexual abuse in our community. Okay. Well, again, I want to stress that conference and have your people come uh, that are listening to that conference. But it is a problem within our communities, and it is getting – I'm not saying that it's a new problem. I'm saying we're talking about it more. But it's certainly uh, more pronounced than ever before in the context of just being off the hook. Our children are, are, are getting molested in all of the institutions that we hold near and dear, the home, the church, and the school. And most of the victims of child molestation are not being victimized by strangers. They're being victimized by people that they know, people in their families, uh, people that, you know, have some uh, interaction with them on a regular and consistent basis. And it's not just women. It's also boys. I mean, it's not just girls. It's also boys. And it's also, you know, it's very rare to find families in America that are African American where this has not been an occurrence. But there has been a conspiracy of silence. And the silence has been deafening because one of the things that we've looked at, as I said and alluded to earlier, is that a lot of the alcoholism, drug abuse, family violence, uh, and all of these things, oftentimes we can trace that in greater than 60% of the time back to early abuse of children, whether that be sexual or physical or even severely psychological abuse. So... It is a problem, and and it has begun. It hasn't just begun, but it has become to become more relevant as as resources get scarcer, and people need more help. Uh, and the prison system becomes the new plantation, where uh, people are being re-exposed to the trauma again, and oftentimes and then continue that kind of behavior when they come out. So there's a lot going on with us, mm-hmm. and there's a lot. And it's not just our community, but it's our community that has me the most concerned, if you understand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that our community is doing it in any greater degree than anybody else. So I want to make that point very clear. But what I am saying is the devastational effects on our community is far more it's 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 far more serious because we don't have the resources and the 
we were with all to to do that we don't even control our own community. So, you know, to do the things that we need to do to help heal ourselves have been very limited because the places that we would normally count on, the churches, the schools, and the home, are also part of the problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let, let's talk about um, child sex abuse in schools. Uh, one of the things that we know uh, is that sexual encounters of any kind with between an adult and an underage child is against the law and is prohibited. But there are times when we accept that behavior, and that is very troubling. Yeah, and I think television has had a lot to do with that, with people looking at these so-called reality shows and that kind of stuff has just made it, you know, like a palette of tolerability, unfortunately. But mm-hmm. let me just take you back for a minute, because if we were to go back to the early days of our experience in the Americas and when we left uh, the motherland, I'm often reminded, and I have to remind people that you see these movies about the sexual exploitation and molestation of of people who were called slaves, slaves or the enslaved African people. What isn't talked about is the fact that most of the molesting was done to children. <laughs> that these were young women and young men that were sexually abused, not the old people, but they were the babies, those who were early in 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 in, in puberty or or or. or Adolescent. So we have to understand that this has been going on with our people for well over 400 years. Mm-hmm. So we have to put that in perspective. And then as we move to, you know, the plantations and all of that. So many of these behaviors uh, have been carried forward. And, you know, you've got whole families where this is just a common occurrence. And everybody knows it. And nobody says anything because we did some statistical evidence when the Providence Hospital was still operational. It was predominantly an African-American hospital. And we were looking at first-time admissions to the ER regardless of diagnosis, to emergency room regardless of diagnosis. And and now we know the statistics through the health department ring true, too, that for the African-American community in Baltimore, which is very much a microcosm of Boston and Philly and and New York, uh, that almost nine percent of out of ten, nine out of every ten African American women and seven out of every ten African American men born in this town have been sexually molested. That means say that again. Almost nine, eight point seven out of every ten black women, and seven point two out of every ten black men have been sexually molested as children. Mm-hmm. Which makes it a public health problem for our communities, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and nobody wants to address it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, and that's one of the reasons why we're having this conference because it is a public health problem, and it changes the nature in which our men and our women relate to each other as families, as partners, 
you know, it changes the nature in which we how we approach uh, drugs and alcohol and everything. So mm-hmm. uh, the schools are not safe. The teachers, are, you know, and, and older people are taking advantage of mm-hmm. children, both both African, black and white, and you know, Hispanic. But the home is also equally unsafe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, there's and we're talking that, about we're talking about uncles. And fathers. Yep, and mothers. And but mothers. there are some women sex abusers, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And people, lest we forget. And boyfriends and girlfriends. Exactly, exactly. And it's not just sex abuse. It's also physical violence. There's also, you know, torture and emotional violence. I mean, the way we talk to our children is, is it, many of us, the way we talk to our children is horrible. I mean, it's just vile. Mm-hmm. To the degree that you know it must be offensive to the spirit, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then we were to go to our churches for for guidance and counseling, then you get abused there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me ask you about violence in the homes and this whole notion of physical punishment. Yeah, it's something that I find troubling. And I hear people making a lot of excuses and a lot of rationale around hitting with items and things like belts and electric cords. And and I think that one of the things that we don't think about is that there are people who are out of control, who have anger issues, and having that kind of vehicle, having children who cannot defend themselves is kind of like uh, a target for those kinds of parents and adults and families. Can you talk about that more? Well, well, that's true. I mean, when we were growing up, we did get spankings and things of that nature, and nobody thought that your parent was being abusive. But then the parent didn't necessarily beat the heck out of you for an hour. You know, Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. might had a switch or you might have had a belt, and they Mm -hmm. gave you five or ten lashes, and that was it. You know, you didn't like it, but that was it. You know, but but now people are off the hook, Mm -hmm. and they beat, and many people will beat down children just like they're an adult, just Mm -hmm. beat them down, and Mm -hmm. and and you have to know that that's displaced anger. That is displaced anger for things not going right in your adult world. Uh-huh. That you uh-huh. are taking it out on a victim, on a making this child, uh, taking it out on someone who is defenseless. Uh-huh. Or as it's, as someone is uh, mentioning in our chat room, hiding behind religion. Oh, yeah, well, religion can be, yeah. a, can be a real problem because people will say, you know, that, that they got to teach, you know, spread a rod, spoil the child kind of mentality. And and it's a cloak and dagger that you aren't willing to deal with your own anger issues as an adult. Uh-huh. And you're making an excuse. Uh-huh. And, 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 and if you hide behind the church or whatever, whatever, you still are making an excuse because... The reality is, as an adult, you do not need to beat down a child. If you have raised that child correctly, 
if you have offered that child alternatives and taught that child coping skills and helped them learn it as they make mistakes and not curse them out and not, you know, do a number of things that you did before you found the Lord, okay? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, then you would be able to talk to that child and have that child be uh, dealt with in a more positive way because, for sure, if you're doing that, that's what they're going to do to their child because that's all they know. That's what they're going to do to their significant other, their spouse, their so-called loved ones because that's all they know. And you can hide until hell freezes over, but you can't hide from yourself. And you inside of yourself cannot rationalize that except for to say that you are an angry, hurt, beaten person, mm-hmm. and you have not been willing to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Now, in families, uh, let me ask you uh, about the whole issue of women especially, but not exclusively, women who allow their husbands, boyfriends, lovers to ex- to express anger and control issues over their children and 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 how that victimizes children. Well, not only does it victimize children, but usually when you see women do that, many of them have come up out of those environments themselves that are very similar. Mhm. Or they are afraid. They're they're, you know, one there are a couple of things that I see in all of that is that women will belittle, humiliate, and whip their children, beat them down to keep the male who has hurt them physically from hurting their children physically mm-hmm. so they take control of the situation so that you know, it's a as as India declares saying in our chat room, women who are paralyzed in fear themselves. Right, and it happens. That happens too. But sometimes women will do nothing and let that male beat up on their child. So you got yeah. both extremes going on, and part of that is because they have themselves come out of violent family dynamics, and they and they've never been able to learn how to get around that. And they have such low self-esteem of themselves that they are willing to allow themselves to continue to be in that kind of dynamic or even with that kind of a person who would Uh be that violent and cruel. Uh And Uh so we're dealing with not just the child issue, but we're also dealing with the parent who has not come to terms with their own Mm self-worth. And the reason that I bring these things up is because I think that in many ways and too much we see de- denial about denial. this and, and people can see it, won't say it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like police brutality. If you mm-hmm. see it, do something. Mm-hmm. Well, we are in denial. We're in denial about a lot of things, you know, and and part of that denial is a coping mechanism. You have to understand that it's a way people have learned how to cope. Uh, pathological, but it's still a coping mechanism. And and it 
Well, recently we've begun to talk more, you know, because a long time uh, black folk didn't go to psychiatrists, psychologists, and that kind of thing because we felt we could pray it away. <clears throat> and um, that just has not been sufficient. It hasn't been sufficient simply because that's a passive act, prayer. And to make these kinds of changes, you have to be more actively involved in your own rehabilitation. And you can't release and relinquish the control of your behavior. God gives you free will. And you can't release, relinquish the control of your behavior just by saying you're going to give it away or give it away to, to, to the Lord. You know, he helps those who help themselves. And so, you know, you have the capability and so by being that passive, you are not accepting responsibility for what you need to do. Mhm. Mhm. And that you have a problem. Mhm. Mhm. And and that certainly applies as we see uh situations that we don't recognize and and, and connect the dots when we see a Creflo Dollar who beats his daughter down in in his own home. And he needs loads and loads of people to to prayer for whatever. But talk to us a little about <clears throat> how unsafe some of our churches are. As as some people, as you've you've mentioned, uh, use the church as a refuge and a sanctuary uh, for. Well, I think I think part of the problem. Well, let's let's put it into context. Historically, the black church has been a grounding force for African people on the individual and a community collective level. It has been historically. When we had nothing else as a people, we had the black church. Now, having said that, (laughs) over the years, we began to elevate our ministers and our clergy to a place that was beyond reproach. With that came a relinquishing of our own abilities to determine right and wrong, to determine and to hold our ministers as accountable as we would someone else. We have literally given many of them God-like status. And despite, you know, us saying there's only one God, we have delivered to these, many of our ministers, a kind of immunity and a kind of reverence and deference that is due only to a higher power. Having said that, We forget that people are human beings, and human beings are prone to human fallacies. And the last time I checked, most ministers, all of them that I know, are human. They may not act human, but some of them, but they're human. And they're going to make mistakes just like anybody else. And we within our churches must hold everyone accountable. And to the degree that we don't do that, and to the degree that our ministers can do no wrong, it leaves the door open for a lot of abuse. Some unintentional, 
and some deliberate. Because because there is immunity given to our ministers, regardless of what they do. Unlike the immunity that we would we don't give it to ourselves. And so we have to look at how we have reorganized and prioritized our religious experiences. And so in that regard, you have sometimes people who select out the church because it's a safe place for them to be predators on children, on same-sex, and on opposite-sex. So they will use the cloak and dagger of the church to have ready access to people who are vulnerable and in need, which makes them maybe more willing to succumb to things than they normally would. That's one group. The second group uh, uh, is, is, is related to the fact that many people will go in with their needs, with the idea that they want to seduce someone to see if they are vulnerable, to see if they can be brought down. Because we got all kinds of agendas that we run now within our churches are no different than any place else. So we've got two sides of that coin. And then we've got all these other folks passing value judgment without looking at the reality of what is happening right before their eyes. I mean, if you know that someone has a reputation for being a womanizer or for being a pedophile, I mean, people know these things. They just ignore them. You know, anybody that's ever been outed that's been in the church is not new. People have known for years, even before they do anything or say anything, you know. And so we have... We're we're parties to our own crime within this church situation. And we tend to turn a blind eye to what is actually going on because everybody can change and the Lord forgives everyone. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's about as naive as you can get. (laughs) And you want to talk about denial, that's the ultimate denial. And so that our children become become uh, uh, really just just victims of a of a system, not all the one time, but oftentimes, and we just ignore it because you know uh, I never will forget when when uh, Dante Stokes shot this Catholic minister here in Baltimore. I'm sure everybody heard about that, you know, but, and. Um, I remember having a patient who was a member of that 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 church and her comment to me was rather than realizing that this was a young man who had been victimized and sexually violated by this minister for years her comment to me was well their mother always would they they, they were the church favorite and they always took those kids up there they got special attention and everything so, you know, it was almost like she was glad it happened. It was almost like what they deserved, he deserved it because that's all they did was put their time around the church and they were the church favorites. And I remember thinking, my goodness. And I said, so so nothing should happen to him because he's done a lot of good for the community. 
And I'm like, okay, does that good for the community outweigh having molested two or three young men? Just tell me how that equates. I need to understand where you are coming from. Mm-hmm. So we have some people who, you know, will say, well, you know, if if minister so-and-so or father so-and-so might have done that, you know, the kid, you don't know what the kid was doing and blah, blah, blah. It's a child is still a child. And if you're an adult, I don't care what the kid was doing. It doesn't matter. You're the adult. You're the one that has to set the limits. And to the degree that you can't set those limits means that you emotionally are still a child. And so, you know, we have the both sides of that coin. We have some people who think folk deserve that. And other folk who I don't want to know nothing about it. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. the people doing so good for us, they helped us get this, they helped us get that. You know, I'm just going to look past it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All of which is denial. Mm-hmm. And all it also reminds is, me of the issue of how we approach and how we perceive rape. Exactly. Well, our, you know, mm-hmm. what were these people talking about before the election? Legal rape? Oh, duh, hello. Mm-hmm. I mean, we... We, we but, all but, but, know but that. But Euro-American females uh, really showed them what they felt about that logic, didn't they? Yeah, they really did. <laughs> um, but I'm just uh, saying, the denial issue is across the board. It's about everything and every aspect of our lives. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, I tell them, turn off the television. And start talking to your children. Start reading to your children. Start going places and doing things with your kids. Mm-hmm. You know, turn it off. Yeah, yeah. A- absolutely. Um, and it really gets us as families to begin to talk about ourselves rather than talk about what we saw on the TV. And if you're going to have a discussion about what you see on the television, for God's sake, let it be something that you can offer instruction with. Mm-hmm. A lesson yes. to be learned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, 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 and then in terms of activism, which is, you know, this is alternative activist empowerment talk radio, one of the things that we have to realize, recognize, is that television, as you say, is passive. It also can be informative, and we have to be active in seeking out those things which are can inform our lives rather exactly. than tell us about our lives. You or know. rather than it picked us as buffoons. Mhm mhm and 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 the other is that we can be activists in regard to what is being delivered to us exactly uh when some lady on the show about the um either football wives basketball wives oh. or Beverly Hill wives or somebody's wives and the people weren't even married uh, hey, and yeah. our community got behind a petition about bullying or violence in one of those shows, mm-hmm. that woman was released from the show. She, I mean, and 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 something, and a good discussion about how we tolerate the images 
that are distorted about black women uh-huh. was raised. Uh-huh. And we can do that all the time. Dr. Newton, tell our audience, give them some guidelines about, I mean, I'm ready to, um, if I were in Baltimore, uh, I would have been at your door a couple of weeks ago because this stuff got real. this country had gotten really insane. Uh-huh. I just had to stop. Uh, this daily diet I had of six to eight hours of news. I, mm. I just had to stop it. Um, but give people a, a, a guideline about when they should seek help, when it's time. Um, well, you know, one of the things that, uh, and I'm going to put a plug in for that, and maybe someone in your community will hear us and, and, and want to come. Black Psychiatrists of America instituted, uh, we instituted a couple years ago, well, actually last year, um, a program called the Checkup from the Neck Up, where we where we talk about uh, mental health awareness for the African-American community. And we, and we, and we like to partner with, with local organizations, including churches, you know, to, to begin to inform our people about prevention strategies, as well as being able to recognize when something is really pathological in your family rather than than them just being different or rather than and when when and when prayer is not enough, but it can be you know also an adjunctive part of your treatment because uh we we think it's important for, for to remove the stigma. Of, of getting mental health care. Now, having said that, I understand that some places are not as sensitive to the needs of African people as others. Some people are suffering, you know, cultural issues because many of the services are being delivered, at least to, to certain parts of our community, by foreign medical personnel who may not understand always the subtleties, however, of our culture. However, we still need to have our families, and one of the things that we want to do is is help people recognize when something is going beyond the normal, you know, when when it's mm-hmm. beyond the fact that it's just they're just different. It's really something manifesting itself. So that's one issue, and so you know, you can get in touch with us, you know, about that, and I I could leave you a phone number later for that. Um, okay. Well, but, why don't you do that now? We're, okay, we're, well, the, uh, the, the, the phone number, you can call call us at um, 410-637-5474. That's 410-637-5474. That is uh, voicemail uh, directly for me, and we will make sure that we get whoever calls in touch with the right person you know, in their respective communities if they are interested in having the Black Psychiatrists of America come to their area and 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 do this checkup from the neck up kind of uh, mm-hmm. uh, affair. Uh, secondly, though, I think it's very critical for our uh, institutions, both churches and schools, to begin to start having as part of their health awareness, you know, they have these health screenings and health awareness, but they make mental health a part of that, mm-hmm. that they make that routine so people are not as stigmatized by it. Um, mm-hmm. 
and 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 begin to discuss that as not as though somebody is suffering from sin and damnation is the reason that they're having a depression or you know a substance abuse disorder or a schizophrenic break or something like that that we need to stop being so punitive mm-hmm. as it as it relates to to that and have open and frank discussions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other issue that is critical is that if you find yourself becoming much more irritable than you should be, and it's not just one or two days, you know, we all have those days, and it's not related to ladies that time of the month, um, you know, you need to talk to somebody. You need to talk to a friend, talk to somebody and say, look, I, you know, this is happening and I'm really concerned, A, B, C, and D, if you're having difficulty sleeping, if you're having constant uh, horrible dreams, if you've been abused, if you're having problems within your home life, your marriage, or dynamics with your children, you know, these are warning signs Mm -hmm. that something is awry and you may need some help. Mm -hmm. And so there's nothing to be ashamed of. You're not ashamed of going to the doctor for your diabetes and your hypertension. Then why be ashamed of your depression? Uh, or, or your bipolar, or your or your drugs and alcohol. I mean, what are we talking about? Mm-hmm. You know, we live in a society that is very stressful, and something is wrong if you mm-hmm. are bombarded every day and you don't have a reaction to it. Mm-hmm. You're not well, a machine. You're a human something. being. Huh? Uh, I think that uh, I made a programming uh, decision about our common ground for. 2013, mm-hmm. and for the entire year, we're only going to be talking about mental health, hunger, and homelessness, mm-hmm. and we're only going to be talking about those things that inform those issues. Right. Okay, um, that's excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 when when I talk about mental health, I'm also talking about the prison industrial complex. The, oh well. Yeah, you know, so. One of the things we want will probably want to do is to start off the new year to to do on air mm-hmm. this um uh from the neck up check up check up from the neck up <laughs> uh we we we've we've run out of time, and this two hours has certainly gone by so fast um and I certainly would like to invite you to come back and talk to us about your spiritual leadership uh, in the area of a well and healthy mind and spirit. Um, that the, the time that we've had just hasn't been been enough. Well, and thank I, you very much. I'd be delighted to, you know, we can work out and, a time when you can yeah, find and, me. <laughs> and and, and, and we, we're certainly going to bring in some of the people who are going to be involved in the Royal Circle um, a sexual abuse conference and encourage our audience to uh who can to attend that conference in March and try to organize something so that we'll all come down. That'd Maybe be awesome. That all would of be our awesome. work staff and 
and uh, the I, uh, I Declare Media will all just come on down to the conference and spend the weekend with each other and with the conference. Dr. Patricia Newton, this has been such an honor for me, Nana. It really has. Uh, your wisdom and your, I mean, the, the vast experience and training and uh, professional expertise and the way in which you have just simply embodied it in uh, some great wisdom and, and common sense because <laughs> we need to come to our, you know, I always say we need to lose our minds to come to our senses. I like that. In our community. Thank you so very much for being with us. I'm sorry, uh, I want to apologize to our audience that we didn't have time to take any calls tonight, but it was so wow. important hear from you, um, what we need to be thinking about, what we need to be posturing and ourselves so that we can become more mindful about how important it is to hold back the madness. Yes, yes. Uh, well, to, thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. I didn't realize the two hours were up. They say time <laughs> flies when you're having fun. It, it does indeed. And thank you, and we love you very much. And uh, we hope uh, that we will have you back soon. Thank you, and peace and blessings to you and your audience. Thank you very much. Okay, bye. That was Dr. Patricia Newton. And if you would like to know more about her, you can go to our website and also visit Black Psychiatrists of America website at blackpsych.org. And I have... um, posted it in our chat room. Thanks to all of you for having been with us here tonight at Our Common Ground. I want to tell you a little bit about uh, what's coming up. Uh, <clears throat> next week we're going to have with us um, uh, um, McKinney uh, Temba, who is the executive director of the Praxis Project. It's a nonprofit movement which supports intermediary and an institution of color for organizing and changing work at local, regional, and national levels. It focuses on building for fundamental change to build healthy communities by changing the power relationships between people of color and the institutional structures that affect their lives. And I think that some of you may remember that um, Makani Temba has been with us here at Our Common Ground before. But I do want you to think about some of the things that uh, Dr. Newton brought to us tonight, uh, that it is not um, out of the blue that communities become healthy. It is with healthy and well individuals. We cannot begin to build a movement of liberation for our children and our elders without being of healthy minds. It is very important for us to continue to maintain and to build stronger our families. Thank you so much for being with us, and we'll see you right here. Don't forget Soul of Fire on Wednesday at 10 p.m. with Dr. Matthew V. Johnson. 
um, where spirit matters, the most powerful force on the earth is a soul of fire. It is not about religion. It is about spirit. I'm Janice Graham, and we hope that you will join our other fine programming at TruthWorks Network and join us here next um, Saturday at 10 p.m. We believe that as it goes for independent black media, we can meet the needs of our community uh, in talking race, in hope, and with courage uh, here at Our Common Ground next year. We are going to be very focused. It is time for us to push the agenda on homelessness, mental, black mental health, and hunger in our community. Those are to be the issues before this new administration. It ought to come early, it ought to come strong, and it ought to come packaged in a movement. And we cannot build a movement unless we understand all of the issues inside that movement. Thank you for being with us, and we'll see you next week. Don't forget, you can email us at ocginfo at ourcommonground.com. Like us on Facebook. Um, Tonight I reported to the Homeland Security a threat against the President of the United States made on Facebook, and I hope you'll go to my Facebook page and support me in making sure that we don't have to pull up with the foolishness. I'm Janice Graham, next Saturday night, 10 p.m., speaking truth to power. Mike, tell us why you became involved with the Tea Party movement. Well, first and foremost, we want to take our country back. Just to be clear, is your country my country, too? (laughs) Of course. Okay. Who do you want to take our country back from? We want to take it back from a Congress and a president who've forgotten that government derives its power from the consent of the governed and instead is at the beck and call of special interests and corporations. You describe the Tea Party as a grassroots movement, right? Absolutely. We have no central control, no traditional power structure, and that is something that seems to confound the media. I'm sorry? That's what confounds the media. It's what the media doesn't get. We are not being run by a George Soros-type figure. We are we the people. There it is. If you follow the money, nearly all of it eventually leads to ASP. Where does your funding come from? What little funding we have comes from private citizens who mail in $5, $10, $1, whatever they can spare. Okay, have either of you ever heard the name David Koch? I'm sorry? David Koch. No? Have you ever heard the name Charles Koch? No. Have you ever heard the name Coke Industries? Are you talking about Coca-Cola? K-O-C-H. Have either of you heard of Coke Industries? No. I think that very soon you will. Coke Industries is the second largest private company in the country, bigger than Coca-Cola. And the Koch brothers' personal wealth of $50 billion is exceeded only by Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, and they could buy and sell George Soros ten times over. They own dozens of companies and industries, including oil and gas, refining and chemicals, minerals, fertilizer, forestry polymers, and fibers and ranching. You two both attended the Texas Defending the American Dream Summit over the July 4th weekend? It was a Tea Party event. The invitation... Excuse me. The invitation read... Today, the voices of average Americans are being drowned out by lobbyists and special interests, but you can do something about it. Yes. 
That summit was paid for entirely by Americans for Prosperity, AFP, which has two founders, David and Charles Cope. In the last six months, they bankrolled Tea Party candidates in excess of $40 million. Cheryl, Mike, are the Koch brothers average Americans whose voices are being drowned out by lobbyists and special interests? I'm confounded. That's it for us at Our Common Ground tonight. Thanks to Dr. Patricia Newton for joining us, and thank you, our callers, listeners, and chatters. Thank you for joining us tonight at Our Common Ground. We're here each Saturday, 10 p.m., speaking truth to power and ourselves, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. When we'll be meeting here at Our Common Ground with Makani Temba. She's coming back, and we're going to be talking about the Praxis Project, community developing at its best. I'm Janice Graham. Thank you for being with us. Can't use it, trying to make it real compared to what...